0: So this morning, what we're considering here uh, through the scriptures is what does it mean to labor? We just said a little while ago, as an example that God gave us, that Jesus, in, in John the fourth chapter, he met a woman at the well. Now, when we tend to look at that, We tend to look at he's in that particular place, in that particular place. But this is what the beauty of studying the word of God in isagogics, which means it's historical frame of reference. So God wants to give us a frame of reference. He wants us to see the picture, the frame of reference in our mind. He wants to form a picture, frame of reference, That Jesus was there. So is that all that we're to see? So Jesus was there at the well to meet one woman. And so we can see that even by the time that he is there, why is he thirsty? Was he? He was thirsty. Why? Well, because some believe he walked a minimum of 25 miles to go meet that one woman. Was there labor involved, even before he got there? The labor of preparation. This can, for some of us, this can go into years. And of course, we know that it is all a work of grace. It all has to do with the treasure that's in the vessel. The vessel wouldn't, couldn't do anything, wouldn't be of any value if the treasure, Christ, in Second Corinthians 4 and verse 7, were not in the vessel. Once he's in there, he never separates himself from the vessel. They do it as one. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus, a minimum, walked 25 miles. And by the time he was there, he was thirsty. And that brought out a labor. What kind of labor the whole time that Christ did who he was, we need to see that here this morning. Christ did who he was. Everything he did was who he was and obviously revealed it in a way that he was one with the Father in John 10 and verse 30, John 5 and verse 19, and John 14 and verse 9. Everything he did, he did in the oneness of who he was and is in the Father. And so there was a labor of, what is it called? It is called a labor of what? Love. So when we think of the labor of love, what do we think about? What kind of love is God towards us? What kind of love is that? That he shares? I mean, there was this love that they have in eternity. In John 1 verse 1 and 2 with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both and we can see that clear in John the 14th chapter, 15th chapter and 16th chapter we see the Holy Spirit proceeding from both so he was there in this love life exchange that they had but they had that together. They had that together. But was there any labor there? Was Was God laboring there in the Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were the scriptures that were just brought up. No, there was nothing but rest. When did the labor start? And when was that in the eternal mind of God? When it had to do with mankind. And there was labor. And what was that labor? What caused Jesus to walk 25 miles then, to go in his thirst, notice that he had a need he had needs, we all have needs. We all have needs, young people, and you know what, especially older people too, they have needs. He had a need, and he was thirsty when he when he got there. Did he ever get his drink did he so was there was there Labor, and what was the source of that labor? Who is God in First John 4, 7 to 20? He's love. What kind of love? Self-sacrificial love. That's what brought in the labor. When Jesus came out in John 1 and verse 14, out of that with humanity in Luke 1, 35, no sin nature in Hebrews 4 and verse 15, an impeccable human nature, but a human nature that could thirst. He thirsted at the well. He thirsted at the well. But he used it as an opportunity. Even his need he used as an opportunity to minister self-sacrificial love to that woman. And it started long before he got there because it was a labor of love. And what kind of love is it? It's self-sacrificial. He was not thinking of himself. He was not thinking of himself. That's the Greek word agape. That's where we get the word agape, love, not charity. Not charity like all throughout certain translations, and that's why it's necessary to understand the full counsel of God in Acts 20, And by that, we have to study the, the uh, Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Koine Greek, not the Attic or the classical Greek but the Koine Greek, because the Koine Greek was the, was the language that God, the Holy Spirit, the instructor to take the things of Christ and show them unto us, chose that particular language. And it became, it became something that was all his own, and he could only be the interpreter of it. And that's why the Bible teaches, and, and that's why we teach it by the pure grace of God, uh, pure grace of God, is that, God the holy spirit is the theologian and the scholar but there's labor and there's there's labor involved there's labor involved and each has a place like in the body of Christ they each have have a labor of love you know i love the picture i love the picture of john the apostle John the Apostle, not John the Baptist. He was preparing the way in Isaiah 40 and, and verse 3. And we see that in, in John the first chapter. And you can see that starting in verse 7 down to the end of the chapter. That was John the Baptist. I'm talking about John the Beloved. He's called the Beloved, the Apostle, and the one who in John thirteen twenty three, laid his head on Jesus' breast. There's a lot of truth that was brought out. And, and once once they left their nets. I think this is very, very in, instructive. Jesus called them and they left their nets, it says, to become fishers of men. That's in, that's in Matthew 4 and verse 19. That's in Mark 1 and verse 17. Okay, it's not that they never used them again, but they left them, meaning those never replaced him. The nets, their occupations, never replaced what Christ desired to do in and for them. And what do you suppose that was? And this is what it says, fishers of men. Is there any labor involved in being a fisher of men? Yeah, what kind of it? If it's true, godly labor, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, notice, in the work of the Lord, and as much as you know that your labor of love is not in vain it's to no purpose it, it's not to any purpose God would never do that so there was labor involved in in the fishermen and we can see when they would do it without him they tried to do it without him in two particular instances they tried to do it in, in two different places in the scriptures and we see it and, and very clearly in Luke the fifth chapter in those first eight verses there and then we see it again and again in another place in the scriptures, in the Gospel of John. And so in one place, the net broke, and another it didn't, and that's representative of two very amazing things uh, in, in kingdom teaching. Many uh, many are, will be called, but not all, will be a part of the kingdom through their rejection, and that's the net breaking first in Luke the fifth chapter. He's teaching kingdom teaching, and we'll see that even during millennial reign. There'll be multitudes that will run to Satan's banner again as soon as he's re- released after that thousand year millennial reign of Christ. We see that in Revelation, the 20th chapter. You can see that truth, and there's only 15 verses there, but they're very instructive. And, and so there's this tremendous labor of love, tremendous labor of love. So we see that. And then in the second second time. That it, it didn't break. The net didn't break. Because he, he told them in John the 20th chapter. You know they went out fishing again. And the others followed Peter. You see that in John the 20th chapter. In those first three verses. The others followed John uh, Peter. And they're out there fishing all night. And Jesus calls out and says to them. Children. Have you any meat? In other words, did you get anything? And they were out there all night. They didn't catch a thing. He told them, okay, again, put it on, throw the net on, on the right side. So again, that net didn't break. And that brings out the beauty of the truth about who we are in Christ. This is the church. Everyone will be saved. That brings out the truth of John 10, 28 and 29. No one can pluck any of us, out of Christ's hands. At this time, is His heavenly people. No one can. And that's why he said in John 6, 37 to 39, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And if he won't, who can take him out? Who can take any of us out of him? And we see that because he and his father, it says, of course, with the Holy Spirit, obviously, when you see father and son, you always know the Holy Spirit is there always but you see my father is greater than any you see that in john 6 and verse 39 that's the net that didn't break in john the 20th chapter but we see in both cases they were out there laboring without him and what were they what were they functioning in they were not functioning in the labor of love because they were doing something that was about themselves and that's not a labor of love that isn't there's a big difference uh, between the two. And so we can see these beautiful truths brought out in the scriptures that there's a labor of love, things we don't even see. Things that we don't even see in a person's life. The la- and it was the work of Christ. Now we know this for sure. That's that, that this is Second Corinthians four seven, right? But we have this treasure in these fragile clay jars in our human bodies that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We know that crystal clear. There's no question about that. None whatsoever. But when the vessel is submitted to the treasure, they become one. There's a oneness there. And so we don't see We don't see, maybe a particular message was preached, but we don't see possibly the years and the labor. Part of that labor has to do, yes, with failure. We see that in those two instances in Luke, the fifth chapter, and John, the 20th chapter. There was labor. They had to learn to hear and submit to the word. And when they did, look at the abundance of what they had in both cases tremendous amount in in both cases so there is a labor of love that goes into it i remember this one particular thing i don't even remember where i got it i know i got it in in my thought life from decades ago i don't know probably at least 20 or 30 years ago two or three decades this one man this one particular man went to a different location to other than where he was from, to preach a word, to preach a message. And after he preached that, a group of people came up to him. And one particular person said to him, Oh my word, that was one of, I can't believe how spontaneous and how incredible that message was that you gave, how how right on the spot and spontaneous it was for you to do that. And he said, my dear woman, that took decades for that message to come out. And there was a labor of love. You know, there's labor in in failure. There's labor in failure. And very interesting that failure, it is, it's it's, God allows it in his plan. You know, He, he allows it. But it's never in the final outcome. Never, never is. And that's brought out again in those two places where one of the net, one net broke and the other didn't. But there's labor, there's a lot of labor that's involved. And we don't see that many times. We don't see that at times. Now, when we do see it, when the word is brought out, When the word does enter into us, these truths, then what do we do with it? What do we do with it? What did the woman do with it? Why was Jesus thirsty when he got to the well? Well, because there was a labor of love. But what was his thirst? Was his thirst truly that kind of water or the water that he was offering to that woman? And that had to do with the labor of love. That had to do with it. You know, again, I want to go back to the picture this morning. I'm just going to be very brief. I want to go back to the picture of the beloved apostle John. And and I'm I'm sure in his growth, like any of us, there were times of failure. There was labor. There was a labor in that. Failure. And then there was the labor of what Christ was doing in in him. You see, that's that Greek word, eis, E-I-S, the word penetrated in him. Then he had a choice to make. This goes into the conscience, even of those that never have had particular, uh, very crystal clear teaching. But it does go into the reality of what they're held accountable for in terms of their conscience. In Romans two verses 14 and 15, the conscience is, is a law, it's an instruction, it's teaching. You know, we know there's a lot of what we know that is is, uh, is good and what is evil, without anyone instructing us. Even a child we know in Proverbs 22:11 is known by their doings what they do. even they already know that, very early age, they know better. And we see that clearly in the scriptures. But what I love is all of what John's life led up to. All the labor in his life of what it led up to was amazing. Some believe that he lived until at least the age of 95 to 105. And he got to to an age where because of all the labor of his love, Christ in him, remember that now, remember that. Any labor that we do, it's Christ in us using weak, frail vessels because those are the ones that he uses. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. You see that very clearly all the way through. Those are the ones that he uses, weak, frail people. They don't have any strength in themselves. They're not doing it for any, once Once Christ gets a hold of them, not doing it for any amount of glory for themselves at all, at all. And that's why when you study the word of God, first and foremost, you do not study and labor over that word for people to hear it. You do it for, for love for Christ, period. And so that means that when I go to study, and this is where young people really need to have a warning and be very careful that, there's a, there's much learning through a lot of different books, trying to accumulate a lot of different books to get knowledge that can wear you out. You'll see that in Ecclesiastes twelve nine through thirteen. You'll see that very very clearly. You see it clearly, but there's a lot of labor in study. Second Timothy two fifteen, study to show yourself approved unto God. You see you're doing it, not for others first. You're doing it for him out of, out of the purity of who he is and drawing you to that. That was from an, 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 was from an apostle to a young pastor. Yeah, teaching, him, teaching him those things. But back to John. Look at the truth that God gave to that apostle John. The gospel of John. The three epistles of John, 1 John, Second John, and 3 John. Look at the truth that's revealed. What would we do without that? Could I even know Christ personally as he walked the face of the earth had it not been for Christ choosing that particular man in labor to reveal it? Boy, oh boy. You know, what did they think of him? What did they think of the Apostle John? What did they think of him? I'll tell you what they thought. Because by the time, depending on who you believe and where it is, he was older. He was 95 to 105 years old. You know what they did with him? I'll tell you what they did. When he couldn't walk anymore, they carried him everywhere. Wouldn't you think about that. The labor of love that Christ worked into John, that he worked into them, went right back to him. Isn't that interesting? They literally carried him. He couldn't walk anymore. He didn't even have the strength to do it. But they carried him. And they would set him on, a, on the platform. And all he could keep saying to them was this. This is what, what God and Christ, obviously Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity working in and through this beloved apostle, all he could say is little children love one another. <laughs> you know what he was saying? That was the labor of love coming out of him. They would literally carry him everywhere. Because he had such a problem with these Gnostics, even in his mid years they had public baths at that particular time where you would go in and just you you know because of the uh, the dry arid and heat of the desert where they were in israel they'd go in and they they would have public baths for people you know to wash to you know just to get the dirt off of them but he would have his disciples those that were he was that that God brought around him for him to teach. He would have them go into the public bath because he didn't want he wanted to make sure Cerinthius, he was one of the one of these Gnostics that, that taught. And there were two. There was the Setic and Cerinthian, and, and one would teach that Christ, it wasn't really a physical body he had, he was just spiritual, and the other would would teach, would teach He had a body, but it wasn't spiritual. And so John would have his disciples go in to the bathroom and check. What do you suppose that they were doing for him? It's called the labor of love. Even that little thing, the labor of love. That's what it was. It was labor of love. To make sure that guy wasn't in there. Because John, boy, I'll tell you. Not that he hated the individual, but hated what he taught. But he just didn't even want to be in his presence. He was so angry. And probably because he had in his natural... Remember, James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. They had violent tempers in in their flesh. But look at the love that came out of this guy when Christ got a hold of him. So he, so, so he wouldn't react in anger. He didn't want to give the devil temptation. He'd have his, his little students go in there and check to see if he was in there. And they'd come out and say he's not. And he'd go in. And labor of love. I love that picture. By the time he was 95 to 105, they would carry him in the, in the chair. They'd support him. You know, even in Moses, you see, even Moses When when he had those battles, you can see it in the book of Exodus. When they had those battles, and and you can see it clearly in the scriptures there. When Moses was in a battle, and as a leader and as a teacher, and and when it got into spiritual battle, uh, that he would hold his arms up. And that was indicative of him receiving the life that would be given to him and through him to others, a life that would conquer in Romans eight and verse thirty-seven. But there were times that he would get weak and he couldn't hold up his own arms. He would have the, he would have others hold his arms up. And of course this is a beauty a beautiful thing that God is bringing out to us this morning. In First Timothy two and verse eight, I wish he's Paul through the Holy Spirit through Paul And with him, not separate with him, from him, saying, I wish that men, 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 when I go to, when they go to Burleson, I want, I want men to pray. Not go there to have a good time. Men to pray and to be about the word. Of course, it's going to be about individuals, but the majority of it will be prayer and the word in Acts 6, 4 absolutely, that's a good time. That's a thrilling time. Nothing more thrilling than to be in his presence. That's why prayer teaches that. But in in Acts 6, 4, it teaches dependence so that we don't labor for ourselves, but we labor with Christ, one with him, for others. Philippians 2, 3, esteeming others better than ourselves. Uh, Some, you know, some get weary of hearing things. I've seen it in the last few days. I don't miss it. Some get weary of hearing, here he goes again. He's talking about that same thing again. Yeah, and that same thing again is God putting his finger on certain individuals who don't want to budge from what they know to do, but don't do it. Just want to make that crystal clear. Oh, here he goes again. That same thing. Yeah, I know. That's just him. That's not the word. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13. At this point, that's just him. Really? Okay. That's what Paul, Holy Spirit said through Paul in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. I wish that men, males, lift up holy hands What they were doing with Moses. They were one with him. They were lifting up his hands. Lifting up his hands. In oneness. In victory. And receiving. Hands lifted up. Receiving grace. That's what that's a picture of. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. The things things that, that God keeps bringing back to us. That we don't want to hear the things we the most that we need to hear and submit to. That's right, and God will bring them back in His love until we do submit to them. Wouldn't you deal with areas in in, in your child's life that you you knew she was or he was living in destructive patterns of selfishness? Would you stop until there was a place where there would be a rest in terms of being sub- submitted? In in loving discipline and chastisement, and you mean to tell me you would stop? Some don't want to hear it anymore. Well, that's you know what? That's just too bad. Because I'm not the least bit intimidated in God's self sacrificial love. Not the least bit. Nope. Not the least bit. Said I wish men lift up holy hands. Without wrath and without doubting. Without doubting. I love that picture. They carried that, that aged apostle. They carried him. They held up the hands of Moses. And when they did, they prevailed over Amalek and the enemies. And when his arms went down because there was a lack of help and support for him, the enemy came in again. This is very key in spiritual warfare. This is very, very key in spiritual warfare. And that's what makes it necessary for us to hear the word of God and just do more than hear it. Here he goes again. Here, yeah, I know. That's because an area where you, you know, God can't shake you loose from. And you want to hold on to it. Well. We can see it very clearly in the scriptures that God is going to continue to bring it back. He's going to continue to bring those things back until there is obedience. Until there is obedience. I'm going to read from here and we're going to, we're going to stop after this. This is Exodus 17th chapter. I'm going to read, and I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Exodus, the 17th chapter, and verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord. See, they did what the Lord. Okay, so they did what the Lord said, did they not? Well, where did that information come from? It, who did it come through? It came through Moses. according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Here we go. We're going to talk about the material things. You know, that's that thing that people don't want to hear so much. They're like, huh. (sighs) Not communicating it verbally, but non-verbally. Oh, boy it a mile away. No water for the people to drink. Wherefore, the people did chide with Moses. They started complaining again, Moses, and said, Give us water that we, we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide? Why are, you, why are you complaining and operating in irritation and negativity towards me? Wherefore, because when you do that, against me, and when we do that against each other, what are we doing? We're tempting the Lord with disobedience, with suspicion. I think it's interesting. Sometimes we think how far we should obey God in certain areas is what we think others have. And so we look at what they have and perceive what they have and think we don't have to be obedient now. Isn't that interesting? Disobedience. Sin. Last time we checked in Psalm 51 and verse 4, sin is what? It's evil. Where do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses. Isn't that interesting? And said, Wherefore is this that you have brought us up out of Egypt? Well, who brought them out of Egypt? Moses apart from God? A God in the vessel Moses leading them out. And was there any separation there? Mm. Was there any separation in the love of those disciples of John that carried him where he couldn't carry himself? Was there any separation in the love of Christ in John with Christ in him? teaching him, and then John teaching them in this labor of love, was there any difference? Why did you bring us forth up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What will I do unto this people? I see. (laughs) What's it going to take, Lord? They're almost ready to stone me. Now, we don't, people don't do that now, but they do it. They can do it verbally with words or non-verbally too. Because they pick and choose. It's so interesting. The messages and what we think hallmark messages are. Man, that, that particular message was awesome. Now, I'm not so sure about all the others. Well, you know, Proverbs 30, verse 5, Psalm 12, verse 6 every word of god is pure. And when i think of it that way, in titus 1:15, the purity of the word, the whole word of god, the whole counsel of god, next 2027. 20, when i live in the purity of it and i don't pick and choose what i think i should hear and what i don't want to hear, what i should be available to hear and what i kind of shut myself off from because when I do, I shut myself off to off a cleansed conscience, which is mine positionally, all of ours in Christ in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 and 3. Yes. Cleanse conscience. But when I don't, pick and choose well, what do I function at the defiled conscience in Titus 1 and verse 15. I don't believe that one's for me because it wasn't really special about me. <laughs> Very interesting. Well, They're almost ready to stone me. Exodus 17, verse 5. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with you of the elders of Israel and your rod. What is the rod? It's the authority of the labor of God's love through him. I don't know. (laughs) For Moses to get to this place, was there any labor? Did he have to learn? his own failures? Did he have to learn? I don't know. I don't know about you. How many love the Psalms of David? We call them the Psalms of David. Well, because Christ did reveal them in and through David. Now he received them and then he became one with them. Do you love his Psalms, do you? Would you still receive the Psalms, the teaching from him? If you saw him after the flesh, if you saw his failures, adulterer, womanizer, murderer of his best friend. Very interesting. How we perceive one another. Outside of the labor of God's love, Christ in each of us, why we submit in the reverence of Christ to one another, in in Ephesians 5, verse 21. Go on before and take people. Take elders with you of Israel and your rod, you know that rod that I told you to use to, to smoke the river, turn it into blood. Take it in your hand and go. What is that? To go. Was there any labor involved for him to go? Yes. Good labor though. Behold, I will stand before you before the rock in Oreb and you will smite the rock and there will come out water of. This is a picture of Jesus Christ on Calvary, by the way. You'll see that in John 19, verse 34. And understanding it in the preponderance of many, many different scriptures. That the, that, that the under-shepherd, under the shepherd, and we see it in Ecclesiastes again, 12 and 9 to 13, will take out many, will search out many proverbs. It's a labor of love. Search them out. Put them together. And give them to others so they can have understanding. As a labor of love, I don't know how much value do we attach to that? There, and then I'll, I'll, I'll stand, I'll stand before you, not apart from you. And you'll smite the rock, and there will come out water. And that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of, of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa. Mm-hmm. Very descriptive. Massa contention. He preached the word, brings out contention a lot of times. Here he goes again. Yep. And you'll hear it again. And I'll hear it with you just as much. Massa, contention. And Merib, and, and uh, Meribah, what's that? Chiding, strife. Because the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, <laughs> saying, is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek. Here we go, Amalek. And fought with Israel and Rephidim. This is for us, spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 and even through the, through the 19th verse. And Moses said to jo- unto Joshua, Joshua was one who was very close to him. Very close to him in their relationship. Jo- and Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men, go out and fight with Amalek. Is there any labor involved in battle, fighting, privately, corporately? Tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said, had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand. This is again, lick it, listen. This is Act six four. This is First Timothy two and verse eight. When Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, physical exhaustion help Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone. Oh boy, that's Christ in, in the picture at some. Um, 118, 22, Isaiah 28, verse 16. The stone, Christ Himself, that the builders rejected, Israel, to this moment. They took a stone and put it under Him. Foundation stones, Matthew 16, 18. That massive ledge that Christ is. And He sat thereon in a place of rest. And Aaron and Ur stayed up His hands because you couldn't do it all. And they were sensitive and they knew it. That's why I, I appreciate there's a certain woman even in our local assembly. She's very sensitive. And she's very, very sweet. She has a little girl too. Stayed up his hands. The one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And because of that, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Sword. Hebrews 4.12. Sword. Ephesians 6.17. And the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Who do you suppose God had, to, had Moses write this for? Do you think it's for you and I? Do we learn by the things that they went through. We shared it yesterday in uh, Romans 15 and verse 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and 11. There We learn by these things. For a memorial in a book, we're reading it. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Moses, yeah. And now I place Joshua with you. Rehearse it in his ears. Even those things that he doesn't like to hear. He's tired of hearing. And for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar. What does that always speak of? Sacrifice. What kind of love? Self-sacrificial love. Built an altar and called the name of it what? Yahweh Nisi, the banner of the Lord. For he said, because the Lord have sworn that the that the Lord will have war. Listen to this. War. We see it going on in Israel. That land, that land, well, that that land that God gave to Israel thousands of years ago. They didn't they're not they didn't colonialize it. No, that was given to them. And it's going to be held in reserve until Christ comes back. But in the meantime, there's war going on. I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And if you want to know where even those particular Hamas and Hezbollah and all these other Arab nations, if you want to know where they came from, do a study. And you'll see where they came from. you You can start in Genesis the 16th chapter and look in the 12th verse. Ishmael. His hand will be against the hand of every other man. Well, of course, because if Satan's kingdom is divided against itself, in Matthew 12, verses 25 to 30, in Luke, the 11th chapter, started the 17th verse, and in Mark, the 3rd chapter, if his kingdom is divided against himself, it's because he's against himself in self-hatred, and it comes out against God's people. Well, again, see what a beautiful picture that is? See what they did? There were babes and young men that held up the arms of their spiritual father, Moses. Isn't it awesome? And when they did, when everyone was operating in their place, not complaining, not picking and choosing which messages they wanted to hear and those they didn't want to hear. No. They functioned in instant obedience. That's what obedience is. It's either instant or it's delayed, and if obedience is delayed, don't you think that God's going to continue to go after that area in your life? And you may not like it. And that's why I said this morning, you may not like it, but that doesn't bother me, intimidate me, bother me a single bit. And I say that in the boldness, and the authority of God's self-sacrificial love. I, I want to close with that picture of what they were doing with Moses. And what they did with that beautiful, that, that loving apostle of John. Because Christ was in, in those vessels. And Father, we thank you. I thank you for each member of the body of Christ. I may not like, and I do mean this, and I want this to go on uh, to the message this morning. I may not like. I may not choose the way to get to some places. But if that's the way it has to be for me to express the love that I have for people in certain areas for the preaching and teaching of the word and fellowship together in oneness, then so be it. So be it, Lord. And I just thank you for your faithfulness and I do thank you for the members of the body that that we hold each other up Uh, The beautiful principle in Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9, two are better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. And we can support each other when we're down, when our hands go down, and we're so weak and frail that we don't even think we can receive anymore. And then the members of the body come in and they lift our hands up to a place where we can continue to receive. Thank you for the beauty of this truth. In the word of God, oh Lord, thank you so much. Father, thank you so much for your labor that entered into Christ, the labor that Christ was, the labor of the Holy Spirit, and in the examples you give us of the amazing labor, the labor of Christ, the labor behind the scenes that people are unaware of. And I know I don't want to be unaware of that labor of Christ. I want to be, and we are to be partakers of it. That's called righteous suffering. is a labor of love. We see that in Philippians 1, 28 and 29. We're called not only to believe on him, to receive the beautiful truth, but to suffer with him, to suffer with him. Thank you for this truth this morning. Father, thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.